Well, good morning, church. Everybody well? Got your coffee? Yes, no, it's hot outside, and I'm going to rebuke Catherine right now because summer's not almost over, okay? Don't do that. My kids um, are, like, counting down. They're like, how many more weeks do we have left? Because who wants to go to school right now, right? Nobody. Um, it is so good to see you. If you're a first-time guest, my name's Dustin. Um, would love a chance to meet you. So thankful that you're here. I know that um, church, find a church home can be overwhelming, um, and I think those who call this place home can reiterate that this is home for them, and we want this place to fill that way for you. So however we can help through that. Um, before we dig into um, our series uh, continuing, we're in week four. Can you believe that? Week four. Um, I met uh, a student this past week. He's like, how many weeks are we going to be talking about the burning bush? Okay. Um, I'm like, well, it's important. Okay. God spoke. Sorry. I love God and you don't. Um, but, uh, but before we do that, I think that it would be irresponsible of us to not address a little bit of the um, uh, monumental landslide decision, landmark decision that took place this past week. And I hope that you hear my heart. If you call this place home, you know, I know anytime we talk about things like this, all of a sudden, for many of us, our blood pressure begins to rise. And I would even put myself in that camp at some, um, some level because my heart is to never abuse this place to make some kind of political statement. Um, and so I want you to know and be really clear about this. Um, as I just kind of talk about this, I am not coming to you as a political commentator. That is not my job, okay? I'm not here to tell you how you should vote. I'm not here to make church more political because heaven knows we don't need any more of that, okay? But here, here's what I am um, and my responsibility and my calling is, is that as a pastor, and hopefully if you call this place home, we have built the trust that you could even call me your pastor, that it is my responsibility. It is a call that I take super seriously and with honor that I shepherd your hearts well as believers. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the government decides, what cultural trends are. It is our responsibility, if you are a follower of Jesus, that each and every day to be more like Jesus. And, and so with that being said, um, just a couple kind of remarks. I just wanted to pause and just acknowledge um, this decision. One, it would be naive um, of us to think that everybody in this room, especially both service hours, all agree on the same thing. There are many people in this room that agree with the decision, and there's probably just as many people that would disagree with the decision. With that being said, thinking on this, I don't want to belabor it, but what we see in Scripture is that God cares about life, okay? So much so that Jesus came and gave his life, and as he said repeatedly, I'm coming to give you life and to have life to the full. And so as believers, because Jesus cared about life and God cares about life, it is our responsibility, it is a command for you and I to care about life. That means life for the unborn, that means life for the mother, that means um, life for the absent, absent dad. It means all whole life. And I think I've said this before, not to get on a soapbox, but if we are going to be, quote, pro-life, we need to be pro-life about all of life, womb to tomb. And at the end of the day, while believers celebrate the decision at the same time, we should approach this situation 
with humility and graciousness to others. This is not a time for believers to continue to ramp up Facebook of malicious words, spew hate, and gloat on anything. Because this should be an opportunity, as every opportunity in life, for us to reflect Jesus. So before you say anything, before you interact, before you post anything, I would just say, are you reflecting Jesus? With that, I would also challenge us as believers that with the same, um, while we might celebrate, we do celebrate that decision as believers, we cannot lose sight of every single person, even after birth, is made in the image of God, Imago Dei. And that means that with the same passion that some of us have towards the unborn, we need to have that from womb to tomb. From the person that might not look like us, speak like us, talk like us, we need to value all of life. And so let us be people that do that in our praise, in our thankfulness, in this. Um, I know some be like, I'm not praising right now. I'm livid about this. And we can agree to disagree on those things and not spew hate to one another, okay? So this is the church. This is a safe place for us to worship God and to thank him for those things. But let us be gracious and let us take action because you and I both know just because some ruling happened in the Supreme Court doesn't mean that we can just be idle, there are steps that as believers we have to continue to take, if not ramp up more, whether on the front end or the back end, whether it's resources like pregnancy centers and things like that. Is that good? All right, so let's, all right, thank you, yeah. Um, don't make me call you out on Facebook. Okay, uh, so hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus 5. I know that's a hard shift. Um, be praying um, as we continue to walk through that. Um, if you haven't been here, let me kind of bring you up to speed. Just, I like to do this. It kind of puts it in context because I know if you're like me, maybe it's just my ADD. Sometimes it's like, what did we talk about last week? I don't remember. And I guess I'm not doing a good job as a pastor, but Pat was here last week and I was downtown. So I'll blame it on him. So um, I got to harass them a little bit downtown, but it's so good to be here. So here's where we're at in this story, this series called Into the Wilderness, where we are diving in. We've been, this is week four of the series, looking at this amazing narrative of God delivering his people um, in the book of Exodus. And essentially, what we've seen so far is God shows up. This is Reader's Digest version. Do they still even make Reader's Digest version? Like the young generation's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, here's the summary. All right, let's say that. Um, God shows up to Moses in a burning bush and tells Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver my people out of this oppression, out of this slavery under evil king Pharaoh. Moses, like any of us, would be like, me? I'm not good enough to do that. I can't speak well. They won't believe me. Send somebody else. God says, no, I'm sending you. And last week, we saw in this that essentially what God said to Moses, as he responds with, they're not going to believe me, he says, okay, watch this. He says, okay, you see that staff in your hand? Throw it down, and what happened? Do you remember what happened? It turned into a snake, and then he, Moses ran. I told downtown, I do, not, I do not blame him one bit. I'm like, a, I'm like a sissy when it comes to snakes. I'm just going to be honest, okay? And so he says, God tells him, no, I want you to pick it up. So Moses picks up the, the snake by its tail, and it turns into his staff again. 
Then God says, okay, watch this. Put your hand in your cloak. He pulled it out, had leprosy on his hand. God said, put it back in your cloak. He puts it back in, pulls it back out, and it's healed. Then he says, hey, you're going to do all these things. If they don't believe you, if the elders that you're going to go to don't believe you, try this last trick. Get some water from the Nile, pour it on dry land, and I'm going to turn it into blood. So that's kind of where we left off. So this is what happens. So Moses is like, okay, so he goes to the elders. They do not believe him. And he's like, watch this. So he does the, the, the snake trick. He does the hand in the pocket. He didn't pull out a rabbit, okay, trick. He then goes to the Nile, pulls, pulls it out. And in chapter four, the very last verse will be on the screens. It says this, this is how the people responded, the Israelites and the elders. It says, and the people believed And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, remember, he had said, he had said, God had said over and over, Hey, I've heard your cries, I see your uh, um, oppression. It says, When he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. This is a pivotal moment. Because think about this, for 400 years, the Israelites have been enslaved. They have been faced with oppression. They have been murdered, raped, beaten. You know, this low-end class citizens probably treated subhumanly. And all of a sudden, Moses shows up and says, hey, we've heard from God. God has met with us. And this is what he's going to do. And they're like, yeah, right. We've been hoping for that for 400 years. And Moses says, hey, God gave me these cool magic tricks. Let me show you, okay? And they show them, and then they respond by worshiping. Man, they are infused with hope. Can you imagine that we have been enslaved? This is, God has finally answered our prayers. This is what's gonna take place. They are ecstatic. But to be real this morning, after all of that hope is infused, then chapter five happens. And I want us to read all of chapter five, after this hope is on display, listen to what happens. And if you've been studying this, hopefully you've pre-read, man, God, there's so many, I I told somebody this morning, there's probably like four messages you could preach out of this chapter. And so thanks for um, being here for the next four hours. Um, Second service will come in. No, just kidding. But man, it's so rich of what God is doing in this story. So let's read this. Like I said, I'm going to read all of chapter 5, so don't, uh, don't get distracted. Pay attention, all right? It's chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron, so after they worshiped, Moses and Aaron went, and they said to Pharaoh, so they go to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Remember when we see Lord in all caps, it's Yahweh. It's really, I am who I am. So he says, who is Yahweh? And that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that they may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, 
You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our Lord. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor as it is and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters ma- uh, masters and the foremen of the people went out. They said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your own straw for yourselves wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten. And they were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Verse 15 Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and they cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in uh, your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you. He's kind of like, remember the Seinfeld? No straw for you, okay? Maybe, anyway, that was a joke. I thought it flopped. Okay, thank you for the pity laughs. Um, He says, go now and work. No straw will be given, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. So they met with Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Verse 22, Moses turned to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, He has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. All right, thanks for bearing in God's word. Man, so things in this story go from really, really good and hopeful to much, much worse. And all of a sudden we see that as Moses is following this plan, disappointment sets in. And you, you and I know this, that disappointment comes because it's really rooted in hope. That you can't have disappointment unless you hope in something first, right? And so they're so hope-filled that, okay, Moses is the guy. God has shown, shown up. We see these incredible signs. And then now all of a sudden, Pharaoh says, nah, get back to work. It's going to be worse for you. And so this disappointment sets in. And think about this. Think about for you and I, let's just put this in reality. When you and I face disappointment, when things do not go according to plan, there's a couple outcomes, if you will, symptoms um, and signs that happen in our life. One, our dreams are shattered. When we're disappointed in something and we say, hey, this is the plan and disappointment sets in, it's like our dreams are just shattered. There's 
There, it's not going to be out there. Maybe it erodes our confidence. Disappointment definitely does that, that we, we were confident, we trusted something, and now disappointment sets in, and it's like, I can't have confidence anymore. It, uh, disappointment highlights our weaknesses, our limitations. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times this insecurity pops up inside of me and says, you know what, I don't have what it takes. I'm a nobody. Why am I even dreaming? Why am I even pursuing that? I'm limited. I have weaknesses. Disappointment will make us feel desolate and lonely. And in that, we, we feel like we're all by ourselves in isolation. There's no way that we can ever um, accomplish what we want to accomplish. Disappointment um, creates doubt and fear. And if you remember at the very beginning of this series, what, what we said and kind of laid out, is that even when we don't understand it, God has a plan. And God's plan is a good plan. But the majority of the time, it is not going to play out the way you and I intend it to play out. And so as God is working here in Exodus, and God is currently working in our situations right now, he is working that plan. But here's the tension to be truthful and real for all of us. Here's the tension that we face, is that following God is one thing, but following his plan is another. Now, here's what I mean by this. Following God is one thing, but following his plan is another. I would say, I'm not saying it's the easiest thing, but it is easier for you and I to believe in God, to attend church, to read the Bible, to talk to God. Those are some easy things to do. I'm not saying it's the easiest thing to do because life gets in the way and we're distracted, but it's easy for us to follow, say we're following God. But when it comes to following God's plan, that's a totally different thing. Because why? Because it isn't our plan. It, it isn't what we want. It isn't what we desire. It isn't the things that we want to line up, especially if you're type A personality and you graduate from high school or graduate from college and here's my 20-year plan and everything's going to be hunky-dory. Well, when God disrupts and interrupts our plans, it is hard to follow him. It is hard. It's easy to say, oh, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I, I read scripture. I pray. But following that plan is another. And, and here's the thing is that we tend to sway or not trust, turn away from God's plan as it's not our own plan. And really, we want God to fully, for us to, to trust him and obey in full obedience, we want God to lay out everything. We want to see the plan, don't we? And so often, not to make light, but we treat God like Sister Anne, the palm psychic reader in the neighborhood, who's going to throw out some cards and say, here's your 20-year life, life plan, and God doesn't work like that. We do not know. And so we either trust his plan or we don't. And so oftentimes, it is this interruption that says, you know what, for me to trust God, I need to know everything. So for many believers, what ends up happening is we live our entire life not truly obeying God. So here's what I want to pull out of these principles when it comes to God's plan and out of this passage this morning. I'll have to go fairly quickly. But when it comes to following God's plan, here's the number one thing if you're taking notes, that there is always opposition. When you and I attempt to follow God, 
and his plan, there's going to be difficulties. There's going to be opposition. And this story right here, really Moses gets it twofold. One, he goes to Pharaoh. He obeys God. He's following God's plan. He goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's like, ha, get back to work. He's like, I'm not falling for it. Who is this God and why should I believe in him? And so what does Pharaoh do? He says, oh, you guys are idle. So you're going you're gonna to have to go get your own straw. So go get your own straw, continue to make the bricks. And if you don't know, the straw was like a binder for bricks. Now in the South, the best analogy I can give is kind of like bre- breadcrumbs in a meatloaf. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen? Okay, all right. And so it helps strengthen the bricks. And up to this point, the straw was on hand. And Pharaoh said, oh, now your hands are idle. I can't believe you asked this, Moses. Go find your own straw. And you're gonna have to work to go find your own straw. And the production is not going to decrease. You need to continue to make the same number of bricks. So now they're hating life. So Pharaoh is this opposition and he's beating them. We even see, hey, you didn't meet the quota, you're beaten. Opposition. Then not only that, does Moses experience opposition from Pharaoh, he experiences opposition from his own people. The people go to Moses and they're like, why did you even say those things to Pharaoh? You have made a stink in Pharaoh's eye. You know what's interesting about this, and I can't get on a a tangent, but if you pick up the words of the Israelites here, you know who they're really worshiping? They go back to Pharaoh and say, we are your servants. Isn't that interesting? And because of the opposition, they are now turning to the the path of least resistance back to Pharaoh, say there is opposition here. And for you and I, when we follow God, we're going to face opposition. Following God is not easy. We, are ne- we never see in scripture that, hey, give your life to Jesus and everything's hunky-dory. I would say the exact opposite. You and I, in a broken world, we're gonna experience pain. You're gonna experience disappointment and hurt and loneliness and depression and fear and doubt. And this is what I love. This is where the hope comes in because Jesus himself in John 16, remember he said, I have said these things to you that in me, you will have peace. He says, in this world, you might have some trouble. No, he says, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You and I will experience those things. Where do we find peace? Not in politics, not in the Supreme Court, not in having lots of money. It's in Jesus and Jesus alone. The only thing that will bring you and I peace when waves hit and opposition hits our life and following Jesus is Jesus and Jesus and Jesus. That's it. So we have to look towards that and say, okay, Jesus is going to be that peace, not all these other, uh, other things. And so we have to think about that in opposition. The second thing that we see in this text is that you and I, when it comes to following God's plan, we are prone to doubt. We are prone to doubt God. And I'm gonna have to really go through this because man, God just spoke to me in this. But here's what's interesting. In the beginning of chapter five, when Moses goes to Pharaoh, this is what he says. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, if you were to really study chapter four, especially, that is not exactly what God told Moses to do. Moses kind of shortcuts it a little bit, kind of says, you know what, I'm going to, this is, this is my opinion. I think Moses was like this. Okay, God, I know you came in the burning bush. I know we just met. 
you know, you did some cool things. But I grew up in this palace. I know King Pharaoh better than you. I know how he's going to react. And if I'm just going to march in there and say, let my people go, three days journey, he's not going to buy it. It's a little too aggressive. So let me help you out, God. And he comes before Pharaoh with half-hearted obedience and not the full truth of exactly word for word. Now, he eventually gets to it a couple verses later, but he comes and he's like, hey, let us kind of go. And so it's this half-hearted obedience that is there. And he's, he's saying, really, he's doubting and saying, I really do not trust God's word. And here's the reality for you and me. If we don't fully trust God and his plan, we will never fully obey God. Let that sit in for a second. If we don't trust God and his plan and say, okay, he, had, he knows all things and I'm going to trust that, you and I will never fully obey. We will half-hearted obey. We'll say, okay, I know God's out there and he's good, but I'm just going to tiptoe. I still like to do things my way. Now, on the next screen, you're going to see this. This is by no means an all-inclusive definition of doubt, but it's definitely a piece of doubt. Now, if you think about this, here's doubt. Putting all right, or placing our limited knowledge above God's sovereignty. Think about this. When you and I doubt, we are placing our limited, minuscule, finite, little, what I say, peon, little brains, and our knowledge above God's sovereignty. We think we know better than God. We think, hey, that doesn't sound good, God. I don't like that plan. I think I'm going to go this plan. And we try to create shortcuts or faster ways to get there instead of relying and trusting and just obeying God's plan. And instead, we put our thoughts above his sovereignty. God is all-knowing. He is all-present. He is so much bigger than you and I. And not only about you, when I try to put life in my hands, I screw it up every time. It is so much better for us just to trust God, even in the midst of opposition and difficulties, to not try to shortcut God or be half-hearted in our, our obedience because exactly, that's exactly what Moses does. There's a reason in Proverbs, the writer says, trust the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on what? your own understanding. In Hebrew, that means you dumb, okay? And here's what I mean. We need to trust God. Later in that verse, it says, do not think that you are wise in your own eyes. We have to trust God. We don't know what's best for us. We have to trust the Lord. And I think what is so telling about this story is that God came to Moses. And if I count right, all right, and I, count, I cannot count very high, but... God came to Moses four times and told him the same exact thing. He said, Moses, I'm going to use you. I want you to go to the elders, tell them who I am. You're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to tell him who I am. He's not going to like it. I'm going to do some amazing things, and he's going to let my people go. Then the second time he comes and he says, Moses, I'm going to use you. I want you to go to the elders. They're not going to believe you. Do these signs. Then go to Pharaoh. He's not going to like it. I'm going to stretch out my mighty hand. I'm going to do some amazing things. And then my people will be rescued. Third time, Moses, listen here. I'm going to use you. I know you don't think you have what it takes. I'm going to use you. Go before the elders. Tell them who I am. I am who I am. I am Yahweh. Go to Pharaoh. He's not going to like it. His heart is hard. And I'm going to do some mighty things. And he's going to let my people go. Fourth time, he says it over and over. 
And in this moment, it doesn't go according to plan. And Moses cries out and he says, why have you done evil to the, this people? Why did you ever even send me? Ever since I've come here, you know, in your name, he, Pharaoh, has done evil. And you have not, he blames God. You have not delivered your people at all. If you think about it, you and I are not much different than Moses. And here's what I mean. At the first sign of difficulty and opposition, Moses completely forgets everything that God did. He forgets the burning bush. He forgets God coming and speaking to him directly. He forgets the snake. He forgets the hand. He forgets the, the Nile turning into blood. He forgets all those things. He forgets saying, hey, you know what? I know you're not eloquent in speech, but I'm going to use you. He forgets all of those things in the sign of opposition. And you and I are the same way. That when difficulty or disappointment comes in, we feel lied to, abandoned, forgotten, and we forget the millions of things that God has done in your life, how he has been faithful, the prayers that he has answered, and the things that we take for granted that God has blessed us with. And I heard it said one time that we never pray when things are going right and we most certainly pray when things are going bad. Think about this. This is a silly illustration. I've never been to the gym, and that's not much, okay? But when I go to the gym, I never see someone on the treadmill, you know, saying, thank God for the, the breath in my lungs. This is amazing. You know, they might call it to God's name, okay? It's just a little bit different. But, but this is what I will say. When you're sick and you're in the hospital, you're praying, and we forget the incredible graciousness and faithfulness of God, how he sustains us and keeps us and all those things. And here's, I've said this before, disappointments or difficulties always reveal what's going on inside. It always reveals what you care about, what you want, what you desire, what you're chasing after. It always does that. It's not about us. If, we, if you were here last week, we talked about God's plan while his plan is to, um, to redeem his people and deliver his people, God's plan is not dependent on you and me. So third and closing, what we see is that God's promise is sure. Listen to what happens in chapter 6, the first 12 verses. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. A.K.A. watch this. Okay? He says, for with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and he said to him, I am the Lord. Remember, I am who I am. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan in the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. 
I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Bottom line, God says, watch this. I am who I am. In the midst of disappointment, I promise I'm going to deliver my people. My word is my word. We see his faithfulness and his covenant keeping right here, plain in sight. And I love this because we're about to see this incredible journey of what God's about to do. And here's what it means for you and me. Here's how I want to just invite you into this moment of grace and experiencing Jesus this morning. You might be here and you are just filled with disappointment. You're going through a difficult situation right now. Maybe it's something you just, you feel like your job's not going well. You feel like this marriage is not how I planned. My finances are horrible. I just don't know anymore. I just lost a good friend. We're having fertility issues, whatever the case may be. As believers, do you trust God? In the midst of that difficulty, in the midst of, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's a, a cakewalk, but are you trusting God in that moment? So here's what I wanna do. I want us all just to close our eyes, bow our heads. No one looking around, just a moment of response between you and our heavenly father. And kind of a sign of confession with your eyes closed and heads bowed. If you're here this morning, just so I can pray for you, we're not gonna do anything embarrassing. And you would say, Dustin, that's me right now. I'm just burdened with some difficulty and some disappointment. You don't have to look at me. Would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Say, that's me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down. I know that burden is heavy. And for those of you who didn't raise your hand, it's okay. For all of us, we need this reminder. God's promises are sure. And we might not understand it, but let us trust a faithful God who has always been faithful. And as we sing this closing song, let us proclaim with our lips that he is the king of kings. He is sovereign and in control. And let us trust his plan over our plan. Father, we just worship you now. Hear our words and hear our cries and allow our difficulties and disappointments to rest on your throne as King of Kings. It's in your son's name, amen. Let's stand and worship together.